Welcome back to Around the 412. I am Tyler. I'm back from my hiatus. And with me, as always, is my co-host, Smitty. What is going on, man? Sorry I wasn't there last week. I know, And I'm sorry that you didn't have the mic figured out. <laughs> but you got to figure it out this week. You sound a lot I got to figure it out this week. Yeah. Um, no, last week was just like so weird from a recording perspective, like mic stuff aside, like recording that episode. If you listened to it or watched it, I'm sure you noticed like it's just so hard to record a show by yourself. Like you're just having like a dialogue. And Eddie texted me. He's like, dude, you sound like a substitute teacher on this episode <laughs> right now, which is probably a pretty good comparison. I went back and listened to it. And I was like, man, not just from like an all audio standpoint, which, by the way, shout out to Eddie for getting that show to sound even somewhat decent enough to put out. <laughs> um, but, yeah, back this week, um, excited that you're back to actually have a conversation with you about what's been going on in the world of Pittsburgh sports. Um, I'm not excited for what we have to talk about with come, when it comes to the Pittsburgh Steelers coming off that win against Baltimore. I kind of thought we could potentially be riding a high for this episode. Uh, just being able to relax on a Sunday and see what the other teams do. However, the Steelers don't take, take care of their own business on Thursday Night Football against the Vikings. At one point in this game, trailing 29 to nothing in the third quarter. Um, there's a lot to take away from this game, but let's just start on the surface with the fact that they lose 36 to 28. Yeah, it's it's such a polar opposite of what we saw on Sunday against the Ravens last Sunday. I mean, and mm-hmm. I, I was not expecting this to be as one side as it is as it was at least for three out of the four quarters um mm-hmm. i i think that watching the ravens games i'm like okay they started to figure things out especially on defense they started to figure things out but when it came to the vikings and i knew it was going to be a tough game i think we talked about just just the fact that it's on a short week and it's on in minnesota you have to travel there it, it was going to be a tough environment no matter what but the steelers just looked like they were still in pittsburgh for three quarters of this game and it, it was a blowout right from the start, and there was not much good to take away from this game whatsoever. Do you think that they were just like riding that much of a high, like they, it was just a letdown spot because of they just put every, they emptied the tank essentially against the Ravens in that Sunday game, and they were just riding that emotional high, and then it was just a prime letdown spot, or like do you attribute it to are they are just that much night and day difference from what they are at Heinz Field as opposed to on the road? It could be a little bit of both. I mean, the offense had its issues, but they've had their issues the whole time. I think the biggest thing for me was the defense. They looked so good against the Ravens, especially Mm -hmm. against the run, because the Ravens are a running team. They were able to contain Lamar Jackson and that offense enough to be able to win that game. And then Dalvin Cook at one point is running for 17.9 yards a carry. Yeah, And and, and that's not on like one or two carries. That's on like 10. It, it, It was ridiculous. Two times in the last month, they've given up 200 yards rushing, and one of those wasn't against the Ravens. Detroit and Minnesota have both run for over 200 yards against them in the last calendar month. So it, it's it's it makes no sense to me. And, and it's weird that they look better in the second half once Watt and Highsmith were out of that game. Like, I don't know if it was Minnesota's offensive play calling or what it was, but going into this game, you especially without Adam Thielen, how is the point of emphasis not just Dalvin Cook and Justin Jefferson? Like, they're they're playing man on man and leaving whoever a lot of the time cam sutton on an island against justin jefferson why 
Why is that the plan of attack defensively without Adam Thielen on the other side from him? No, no discredit to KJ Osborne, who had a nice game too. He had that long touchdown. Um, but I, Justin Jefferson to not be the, the point of emphasis for this defense really made no sense. Yeah, I have no idea why. And I, I get that Hayden's still out, but you got, you'd think the secondary would at least put a, more of a spy on him specifically. But see, that's that's the thing that I'm saying is like, especially with Hayden out, that's where it should da- come down to. We don't have the personnel. It needs to be more about the steam than anything else. And it didn't look like it was. You don't have a guy that you can trust to go one on one with Justin Jefferson. I don't think that you have that guy, even if Joe Hayden were, were to play in this game. But especially when he's out. Like, how is the point of emphasis not steaming up a way to slow him down? And it's it's not just like uh, Justin Jefferson was going to get his regardless, but it's just they didn't even seem to have any type of way to limit him whatsoever. No, the the team as a whole just looked unprepared for this game. It was uninspired and unprepared for right from the jump. The, The defense was getting gashed every single play. I mean, I just looked and Dalvin Cook finished for 7.6 yards of carry. That's like a college number. Yeah, that's a college. That's a good college game. mm -hmm. But in the NFL, that's like almost unheard of. But he was able to do that. And they just looked lost, honestly, for especially in the first half. You're you're down 23 to nothing at halftime. It it just looked like this is going to be a typical like letdown game for the Steelers. Like, I'm not saying that the Vikings are necessarily an inferior opponent to the Steelers, especially when the Steelers are on the road. But I felt like this after the Ravens game, this should be a game that the Steelers were going to win. And this was just a huge letdown, especially without Adam Thielen. And we honestly, we didn't really touch on this, but like Dalvin Cook playing in this game is kind of ridiculous in its own right. Um, You know, just a week and a half after separating his shoulder, which he has a torn labrum on the other side as well. So just now he's playing with that harness. And I mean, for him to do what he did, uh, coming off that injury in such a short period of time is is unbelievable, to be honest with you. But yeah, I, the Steelers still weren't favored in this game going into it. And I'm trying to figure out why when you take into consideration no Adam Thielen, both their edge best edge rushers were missing from this game. Dalvin Cook being injured, like crazy. But then you start watching the game and Minnesota went into this game as five and, at five and seven record as well. But I think like four of their games were lost by one possession. Like they very well could have the exact flip of what their record currently is. So they're right. not a bad football team by any means. Um, I think that the biggest thing has been finishing games. And that's kind of what we saw in this with the Steelers almost coming back. Literally like we are a Harrison Smith, fantastic play in the end zone on Pat Fryermuth away from if the Steelers execute a two point conversion, that game going to overtime, uh, just a ridiculous fourth quarter from Ben in the offense, to be honest with you. I know Minnesota kind of taking their foot off the gas and playing prevent defense for a little bit of that. But once it, it got close, like the offense still was humming, you know, for for that fourth quarter. And mm-hmm. I, I would like to think, you know, similarly to the Chargers game, can they feed off that? But we saw that the case going from the Chargers game to the Cincinnati game, that was not the case. So I have no reason to believe that this offense is going to show up uh, against the Titans and continue what they did in the fourth quarter. I don't trust the offensive line enough. And that's really the biggest point of emphasis for me. And, you know, we're going to talk about it in the second segment. But especially with some of the playmakers, even when they're making plays, they do something stupid to negate it afterwards. So I don't know. I don't know if you want to if you want to say anything else about what you saw just, from the offense in the second half. But to me, it's not even really the offense. I just think the biggest shame of the game is that when the offense finally figured it out, 
the defense couldn't manage to get them stops because they the offense would get within a score and then Minnesota would score again. And yeah, that was they, that, that they, KJ Osborne touchdown. Yeah, really, they like just, put it out they, of reach. The yeah. defense was keeping the game out of reach for the offense to be able to catch up. Yeah, they were definitely better in the second half. Um, but oh, yeah, one more thing before we go to a break. I think it is really getting masked how bad Presley Harvin has been at punting this year because of all the other issues. But he's been atrocious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I noticed that specifically on Sunday. I haven't really thought about it the entire season until Sunday when I was or not Sunday, Thursday. Sorry, force of habit. Um, mm-hmm. th- Thursday when I was when I was watching the game with my cousins and I'm like, they're like this. This punter stinks. I'm like, you know what? <laughs> he actually does. <laughs> yeah. He does. I mean, and then you, it just is a shame because like Jordan Berry's having a really nice year and he looked like they were probably neck and neck in camp. But the thing was, who you spent a draft pick on Harvin. He's obviously going to win that job if it's that close. So uh, when we come back, we'll continue talking about the Steelers. Like I said, we got a lot more to talk about with some guys specifically that I want to bring up um, as a result of this game. We will do so when we come back. This is around the 412 on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. And welcome back to Around the 412 on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. I'm Smitty. That is Tyler. Let's talk a little bit more about the Steelers-Vikings game on Thursday night. Um, I want to talk about one guy in particular who seems to have all the talent in the world, um, but the wherewithal, the football IQ is just not up to par with that talent. Um, Chase Claypool, you know, first offensive drive of the game for the Steelers. He takes a penalty that kills the drive. Um, For whatever reason, just puts his hands in the guy's face. I know that they were kind of jawing back and forth, but he does that a lot where he gets in the defender's face after he does something um, and he can't control himself late in the game makes a massive catch where the, the offense we talked like, you know, we didn't really talk about this, but Ray Ray McLeod for whatever reason decides not to fair catch a ball. So the Steelers had to go 96 yards with no timeouts now, and they almost did it. Thanks in large part to a chunk play from chase Claypool, where he fights off a DPI to make a crazy catch. Yeah. Um, makes another catch. And this is with a running clock. There's about 35 seconds left at this point. And instead of hurrying up, rushing to the line to hand the ref the ball, he decides to get on one knee and point for the first down. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you know, somebody's got to be in his ear there, even before they get on the field. Or they shouldn't have to be, I guess, at this point. But from what we've seen from him, somebody probably should have been. Like making so sure that everybody knows the situation. This is what you have to do. I know he said after the game he knew the situation. Um, well, I mean, if that's the really case, that's even like worse. It. But yeah, I, I mean, what else can we say about this guy other than he's he's continuously costing the team with these penalties? He's taken more penalties this year than any other wide receiver in football. And that's obviously more touchdowns than he has on the year. And now with stuff like that, where he's he's stopping them essentially from having another play, at least at least one play at yeah. the end of the game. And look at how close they got to scoring. That one play is could have been the difference. Yeah, to me, it's just immature and selfish football. I, I, and I saw people online like trying to twist this to so like, oh, it's the TikTok thing. It's it's Juju <laughs> being his teammate. Yeah. I'm like, no, that ha- I don't think that has anything to do with it. I think that Claypool is doing this all on his own. I just think that he is 
thinking selfishly. He's not thinking of the team. I don't care if he says he knew the situation. There is no way that if you know the situation that you're going to celebrate like that. You get up and you give the ball to the ref immediately. I, I just don't believe him when he says that. And I just think that's him being selfish. I mean, like I field. said, that's worse if he does know the situation. Yeah. And I, I think that, I don't know, man, this might be like stereotyping for wide receivers, but maybe it's like a, a wide receiver thing, like a little diva thing, like he wants to showboat a little bit. And I'm not saying like Claypool's like an all around diva. He's not like T.O. or anything, but. I do think that these plays are being like the, the the pointing into the guy's face, the excessive celebration. And when I say excessive, I mean not even just the pointing when he caught the ball, but when they finally get the play off, he continues to celebrate after they spike the ball. I think that's, that's ridiculous. Like, you are not that big of a deal, Chase Claypool. I'm sorry. You made a good play to get the to move the chains and get the first down. However, you took like at least... 10 to 15 seconds off the clock that they could have had because it's funny. I, I didn't even realize he did that watching the game. I saw him catch the ball and then I was at dinner. So I, I was doing other things, talking to people. And then I looked down and like, there's 19 seconds on the clock. Where did the time go? And then I realized shortly after what happened when I went yeah. on to Twitter. Mm-hmm. I just think it's ridiculous that he's acting this way. You have to be smarter than that. And if you're like, if I'm Ben, I'm in his ear. Like you're the leader of that offense. Like, Chase, what are you doing? You have to be smarter in these situations. That is what is going to cost you a game. Not just that moment, but all the penalties that it, it like shut down the office. Not to mention he fumbled the ball on a, on, on an end around when, when it was like a two yard game. But then he fumbled the ball. I, I just think it's ridiculous that Chase Claypool and for the entire season is is like this. And it would be it would be different. or Actually, it shouldn't be different, but it would probably be different if he was consistently dominant receiver like he should be and like his physical build should be but he is probably the most inconsistent wide receiver on the Steelers and I do not even think it's close his talent or his potential talent is probably the highest on the team it's probably higher than Deontay Johnson if if he put it all together but there's some games where he's completely invisible and that should not be the case especially on a second round draft pick wide receiver that has that much skill yeah, I think, too, like, the thing is, we talked about, like, Ben getting in his ear, Tomlin getting in his ear, and, you know, who's to say that they aren't? You know, we're never going to know what those conversations are like behind closed doors. But I think at some point, like, when it becomes a pattern, you need to just realize that this isn't, like, this is just who the guy is. Like, we're not coaching this out of him. You're not getting this out of him. Like, this is just what's going to happen, and you either have to live with that. Or, I mean, we're only in year two. I'm not saying this by any means, but, like, at some point move on if this continues down the line. I think that the rest of this season and obviously like year three, because year three is always like the year for wide receivers, in my opinion, like that's like breakout year. We're seeing it with Deontay Johnson this year, but you see it like lead wide. A lot of guys in year three, that's the year that that happens. They reach that full potential. Like obviously regardless of who's going to be under center for the Steelers next year is an absolutely massive year for Chase Claypool, not just from a production standpoint, but really like buying in to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah, I, I was thinking while you were talking. So, AB, as much as like the exit for AB was like a, a bad thing with the Steelers, the fans, yeah. and everything, mm-hmm. AB was targeted as like a, I don't know if a diva is the right word, but like a cry, like different things about Antonio Brown while he was on the Steelers. But I never saw Antonio Brown doing some of the things that Chase Claypool does. I don't remember a situation where. 
Antonio Brown is, we, we need to clock the ball and Antonio Brown is excessively celebrating. So as much as people want to hate on Antonio Brown for the thing, the way he exited on the, on the field. And this is just to go to show like how far Chase Claypool is going down a road. Like he cannot keep doing this. Like Antonio Brown, as much as he's hated by, by a lot of Steeler fans, Never did that kind of stuff on the field. Yeah, he threw a Gatorade cooler, but that's on the sideline. That doesn't affect the field of play. I, I just I'm trying to like wrap my head around what Chase Claypool is thinking because I saw the video that DK was asking what he like what did he know the situation and everything like that. Mm-hmm. And I just don't believe him. I don't know what's going through his head. And that's why yeah, I he just talked about like the ball. He said he only lost one and a half seconds by celebrating. Yeah, he's like he's like. Well, the ref was nowhere near me, so it didn't really matter anyway. So he's like, he's yeah. trying to say it's my fault, but really it's not my fault. <laughs> well, I'm sorry, Chase. I've seen many instances where players get up and literally sprint to the ref, not just wait for the ref to come to him. So I don't want to hear that excuse. He's just yeah. trying to place blame somewhere else, which is ridiculous. It's all on you, Chase, and the ref is not the problem. You were the problem in that play. No, Trey Turner. I know Eric uh, Kendricks like knocked the ball out of his hand or whatever, and the ref couldn't see it because of Trey Turner standing there. It is what it is, but it's like in the moment, still obviously Chase Claypool made the wrong decision, didn't have the football IQ that you would like to see from him there. And it's been a little bit of a pattern for him in terms of that. So hopefully it's the last that we see of that. Hopefully this isn't a, a pattern that continues. Um. You know, because we'll st- have to start having some other conversations. But for the time being, Chase Claypool still plays for the Pittsburgh Steelers, and I'm still going to be rooting for the guy. He's immensely talented. I just hope that he can put that talent all together, first of all, because, I mean, he's immensely talented, but it's not showing up every single Sunday like we'd like to see, um, especially in contested catch situations, though he did have a nice couple of those on Thursday night. And that's what's um, sad is he would have had a – if he didn't have those penalties, he would have finished with a nice game. Like we would have said – he, yeah. he had a pretty nice game, but even the penalties aside, say he doesn't do the thing at the end of the game, they score, take the two point conversion, tie it and then win it or something in overtime. Like we would be talking nice about game. how he was. Yeah. We, and we'd be talking about how he was kind of one of the saviors for the team because of the last drive. But yeah. this is just you know. a glaring mark of the of the game. And we ignore so he had eight catches for 93 yards. So that is a great stat line for Chase Claypool. But I do not care about that because of what he did in that fourth quarter. And that's fair. Um, moving on, though, I think that we've spent enough time talking about this. Hopefully we don't have to spend as much time talking about this ever again when it comes to Chase Claypool. Um, there's two other players I want to bring up to see if you think that there's maybe something there going forward who we saw step in. Like John LeGlue, we didn't get to talk about him last week because I was running solo on the show. Stepped in on the offensive line in that Ravens game and was probably their best offensive lineman from the point that he got onto the field for the rest of the game. And then he gets his first career start against the Vikings on Thursday night. Didn't show as well, but I, I think when you look at how bad the offensive line played as a whole, um, it's really hard to find a, a silver lining there. And then Montrevious Adams on the defensive side. Ridiculous get-off for a defensive tackle. Um, very athletic for a defensive tackle. And if there's like two spots where the Steelers need to find something without investing much capital, whether that's like a high draft pick or spending big in free agency. One of those spots is on the offensive line, and I'd argue another one of those is on the defensive line. So do you think that there's anything potentially there with John Blue and or Montrevious Adams? I think there could be because they need all the help in the world. And the fact that they performed well, um, now, now maybe it's 
it's uh, not hard to move into a starting role or get a greater role in the offensive line or defensive line just because of how bad they have been. But if sure. you're performing well um, in them, I, I, I think there is something there. I, and that's not just to take away like, oh, they're only playing because the rest of everybody is doing bad. But everybody has been doing bad. So if you're doing well, I think that that you get an or er- you earn your spot like John Leglue did with start the starting on uh, the offensive line and the offensive line still stinks. But if he's if he's doing his one fifth then it's not as bad as it could be. Um, mm-hmm. And Montrevious Adams, I, I think that man, the run defense stinks. So if he can help a little bit, then that's great. But man, dude, Thursday night, the, the off the, the defensive line was terrible and cam hayward was pissed after the game yeah and like he's but see that's what to- i'm saying it's we've seen that from cam now multiple weeks throughout this season about the defense you know and it's at some point it's a combination of personnel and steam you know they don't have the personnel good enough to mask a poor steam and they don't have a steam good enough to mask poor personnel um and I think that it's it's definitely a combination of those two. Everybody knows I'm not the biggest Keith Butler fan in the world, but um, at the same time, you got to have the horses. And I don't think that the defense has enough horses um, at every single level of that defense. You know, you don't have the linebackers to support and run. Mento Fitzpatrick was their best run defender on Thursday night, so that's that's terrible. That can't be the case. Um, and everybody wonders, you know, why Minka has so many missed tackles and yet leads the team in tackles. It's because the running runners are getting to the third level and that shouldn't be the case with the consistency that that's happened this year. Um, so, yeah, I don't know what, what the answer is. I don't think that we're going to get an answer this year. Um, I think they, they kind of need to, and I was talking about Derek, um, you know, Derek, uh, well, he switched his name Steelers underscore DB on Twitter, Derek Bell um, about this in spaces actually right before we started recording. And like, we were like, man, when do you have to like think about, life after you know hayward and you know with as much uncertainty as there is with to it and who knows if all will be back or retire based off the injury that he suffered this year like they could you can make the argument about them investing in the defensive line very early in the draft or you know that being like a priority in free agency yeah um i i think there's a lot of pieces of this team where you have to start preparing for the future um obviously on the offensive side ball quarterbacks number one but this team as a whole is not getting any younger and specifically in positions like the defensive line, like you see how bad it is right now. And that's with like Cam Hayward on the field, who's one of the best defensive linemen in the NFL when he's gone and say these other people are gone. Are we going to be stuck like this where we're just going to have one of the worst run defenses in the NFL for a few years? Like in this next year's draft, I feel like they have to draft a defensive tackle as like a safety net. If these guys do not come back, mm-hmm. um, yeah and see it's unfortunate that carlos davis has been banged up for so much of the year because he's a guy that like i think they like a lot but he hasn't been able to get onto the field to show like he can be a piece um and you know life after alu alu yeah um and then you 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 get what you can out of guys like uh louder milk and chris wormley but like i don't think they're long-term answers i i I know they louder milk was a draft pick last year but like i don't see him as like a stud defensive lineman for the steelers moving forward i just think they're nice death pieces yeah and they're just they were forced into these more elevated roles um moving forward just because of the situation yeah i mean you know wormley credit to him he's had a pretty solid year he was unbelievable against the ravens you know but overall he's had a pretty solid year um, 
But like you said, that's a guy that you look at and you would hope that he's a, a depth piece. But the thing is, all their depth has now become their starters. And that makes the mm-hmm. guys behind them guys that shouldn't be the depth that are playing. And they are. You know, we have a bunch of rotational pieces that just aren't good enough to be that. Shouldn't be on an NFL field at least this point in their career. Like it would have been awesome to give Loudermilk pretty much a red shirt season because, you know, of all, I'm not going to say he's Cam Hayward. I don't think the coaches were trying to say that either. But like there's a lot of similarities there from what their, you know, the coaching staff was saying. And they want to like coach him up and they would have loved to have given him a red shirt year. But with everything that's happened on the defensive line, he's been thrust into a position where he's got to play way more than he should. Henry Mondu should not be playing at all, let alone as much as he has. I mean, we could go on and on about this forever, but let's wrap up the Steelers talk with with one more question that I have for you. And that's after this loss Thursday, they're going to need a lot of help. But do you even have like, do you think the Steelers are even in the playoff mix at all at this point? Oh, that's tough because you're, you're playing the Titans, Chiefs, Ravens, uh, Browns. For some, for some reason, I'm about to say Cowboys. Browns. And you would think that if you were going to make the playoffs, like at least a for sure spot, you would have to win three out of those four games. Yeah. And, and, and get and get help, you know, beyond and that, get help guys. and get help. And I just don't see that happening. You know, to be honest, the, the way the season has gone, I think that the Steelers are probably going to win. They're managing to win two more games then they're going to lose two more games. And they're going to be the only team that is going to finish literally 500 when they add an extra game to 17. <laughs> so it should be almost impossible to be yeah, 500. True. But they're going to be eight, eight and one about as mediocre as you can get, which I've said for a long time. And I said it a lot in the early season that in the NFL, if you're not winning the Super Bowl, you might as well be as bad as possible. And eight, eight and one is literally the worst thing that the Steelers can do. And I think that's what they're going to do. I think they're going to probably the Titans game is at home. Titans have been banged up. They've been losing some games. I think that the Titans are going to lose to the Steelers. I'll say the Steelers lose to the Chiefs. And then I'll say the Steelers are going to lose to the Chiefs again. Or lose to the Ravens in Baltimore. And then I'm going to say that they beat the Browns. And those Big those Browns and Ravens are flipped. Or Okay. Yeah. So they're going to beat the Browns first. Okay. And that's going to be Big Ben's send-off. From Heinz Field. That'll be his last game at Heinz Field. And then how poetic will it be beating the Browns again? Mm-hmm. And then they're going to lose to the Ravens and they're going to finish so, eight, eight, yeah, and one. I'm not saying that that's out of question, but the only thing that I hope happens there, because <laughs> I, I, I'm on board with like the first three, the way that that plays out. But if the Ravens are already locked in, will they even play their starters in week 18? Uh, Maybe they don't, but. Because that would be an ideal situation. We've seen the Ravens sit there, like, and, and people will make the argument, like, why would Harbaugh do that against the Steelers? We saw them do it 2019. They sat their starters. Yeah. So that's not out of question to happen. And Baltimore's, you know, they've suffered as many injuries this year as anybody. Like, they definitely could use the rest leading up to the playoffs in it, in it, with an extra game now, 18-week the, season. The, the sad part is, is I don't trust the Steelers to win the game with the Steelers' backups, or the Ravens' backups in. I mean, maybe they do. I mean, yeah. They have a better chance to. But the way this season has gone, like if, if you're going to wait three quarters to play offense 
And if you're mm-hmm. not going to stop the run at all on defense, then I don't really trust you to beat anybody, to be honest. You can't you can't wait till the fourth quarter every week to start scoring points. And at some point, you're going to have to stop running backs uh, from gaining five plus yards of carry. Yeah, I just that loss Thursday night sucked a lot out of me. Like I just I was not I was like, if they win, I'm going to the Titans game. If they lose, I'm not going to the Titans game. So I will not be there for Steelers Titans now because of that. Like I just it, it put such a damper on my mood. Like I was like, if they win this game, I legit think that they have a shot for one of those wild card spots. Now it's like they need to go three and one probably and have somebody like Buffalo, Vegas, or Cincinnati go two and two or worse. Like we're actually two of those three to do that, probably. Yeah. So I just, yeah, they, they it need, a lot needs to happen. I'm just, I'm surprised that the offense isn't what I'm more upset about in the in, in the last month or so. It's on the oh, defensive no, the side defense. of the ball. The yeah. offensive has had some pretty good performances overall in the last month, but the, well, the the only thing I'll say is like some of the games they don't score early enough, like the Chargers yeah. in this mm-hmm. in this past game. They they just too little, too late. Um, but yeah, the defense. I, I said it a couple of weeks ago. Defense has been keeping them out of games, and you would th- it was the complete opposite of how we thought the season was going to go. The defense had to keep them in games. They're the ones keeping them out of games. Seven point nine yards of carry. That's an absolute joke. It's unfortunate. All right. Well, what's not unfortunate is the Pittsburgh Penguins went three and zero this week. So we will transition to talk about them when we come back. Uh, we even saw Casey DeSmith. Maybe he's back. 33 save shut out performance on Saturday night against the Ducks wearing the new uniforms by the way we'll talk about that game we'll talk about the other two games the Pens won this week we'll be right back this is around the 412 on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network Welcome back to Around the 412 on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. I am Smitty, and that is Tyler. Let's wrap up the show talking about the Pittsburgh Penguins hockey team. Uh, 3-0 this past week. Obviously, that's a great thing on the surface. Things have looked pretty good. Um, Other than the fact that we got one more injury to talk about, it wouldn't be in Around the 412 episode if we didn't get to talk about a Penguins injury. This one pretty significant. Obviously, Jake Gensel. Going to miss some time with an upper body injury. He gets hurt in the tracking game, which he also scored a hat trick in, uh, but he took a shot up <laughs> high, left the game, came back, scored two more goals, and now he's out week to week with an upper body injury, uh, riding a 13-game point streak, by the way. So, you know, you're wondering where are you going to find that offense from? Guys are going to have to step up. Right now, the short-term solution has been the jump up to Sperry Kapanen to play with Sid and Evan Rodriguez. What do you think about that line? Uh, I thought it performed pretty well. I think it looks pretty solid. Um, I think Kapanen works well with Sid, and I think that's a winger that he would like to. Maybe he doesn't. He doesn't forecheck as hard as like Gensel would, but like I, I, I think that line works. And Evan Rodriguez has just been a dog all season. He so, can do whatever you want. Yeah, he yeah. Could be, he could be the trigger man. He could be the shot first guy, or he can be a complimentary piece setting yeah. other guys. Up. Like he, he, can do he works he well on any line, any players. It doesn't matter. So he, I'm fine with that line. Um, I thought they looked pretty decent on on uh, what was that Saturday night, and 
So I, I, well, I thought they were really good against the caps, the game, the captain and stored Saturday. I'll be quite honest with you. I was uh, out with Eddie and Gary Morgan, host of Pirates fan forum, by the way, and wasn't paying too much attention to the game. I know that it was like, man, I I mean, it might have put me to sleep if I was able to watch. I know that too much wasn't happening in the game. I mean, the Penguins scored in the first period and then there was not much action after that. Front of the show, Brock McGinn. Yeah. Yep. Who, by the way, is on pace for 20-plus goals this year now. He's got seven. Yeah, he, he's had a pretty nice season so far. Uh, th- what's a shame, though, is that Gensel has, has been on that stretch. He's, like you said, 13-game point streak, and he was the hottest player in the NHL, to be honest. Right. And and then this happens in typical Penguin fashion, I must say. You get, getting a hot player, and then uh, he gets injured. Yeah, and not only for Jake, I mean, look what Sid's been doing lately. He did extend his point streak to seven games, but he was on a six-game point streak because of what Gensel's been doing. Like, the way that those two have found that, I mean, it really wasn't a question of if they were going to. It was when are they going to start clicking on all cylinders when Sid came back. Obviously, didn't get off to the greatest start, um, but he's found his footing. It helped Gensel really get going this year after he couldn't buy a goal off eBay earlier in the season. Uh, so, you know, everything was clicking. And then, of course, Jake Gensel has to go down with injury. So it is Kasperi Kapanen gets the first shot. I actually would have been intrigued to see a guy like Danton Heinen jump up um, just because of similarly to Evan Rodriguez. He's thrived really in any role that Sullivan has asked him to play in on any line. Um, but I don't have an issue with Kapanen being there if that's what jump starts him. You know, playing with Sid and then, you know, see if he can drop back down when Gensel comes back and maybe continue that same level of play if it was just a confidence thing or what. But we know Kasperi Kapanen's game. He has to be the trigger guy. He has to shoot the puck. You know, if he's not shooting, if he's not getting four or five pucks on net a game. He's not having a successful Kasperi Kapanen game. That has to be what he does. Um, obviously not like the greatest defensive player. Um, and he doesn't bring a whole lot to the team if he's not shooting the puck. Well, luckily, his old duo partner, Malkin, he might be coming back sooner than later. Uh, he's yeah. been practicing in a non-contact jersey. Do we see him? Practice. Do we see him before Rust or Jake? Um, that would be interesting. Thing. That's the thing. Hockey's so mysterious. I don't know the severity of Rust and Jake's injuries, but it's like we we know what Malkin. Well, is. from what I from what I understand, Rust is a groin tweak. And Gensel, I believe, is like his wrist where he blocked a shot or something. So his hand area. Well, yeah, we know where it's at. But I'm saying like yeah. we don't know if like like a wrist, he could be back within like a week. He also could be back in a uh, month or. Right. Yeah. Like, I, I feel like just, if it was like I feel like if it was broken, like they would have said, you know, he's going on like IR like it's not yeah. just week to week or something. So that's true. I, I, I will say no that one of the at least one of those guys will come back before Malkin, but I think we could see Malkin before the New Year starts, like towards these, these end of December. The, some of these games, mm-hmm. I, I just think that it's great sign that he's actually with the team now, whether he's in a non-contact jersey or not, that he's actually t- participating in the full practices, um, and they're getting close. I and mean, I think that will help Kasperi Kapanen because we saw how good they were as a duo um, whenever they were playing together, and I think that that's going to help the. I, I think that if you have a duo of Jake and Sid and then Kapanen and, and Malkin and then put Zucker and Carter together and Honestly, move Heinen onto that second line. Maybe. I've uh, I've seen like better chemistry recently from Carter and Heinen than Carter and Zucker because I would have agreed with you. Okay, so here's what I'll say. This is the way I was putting the lines together in my head in an ideal world if with yeah. everybody with everybody healthy. Ha, ha, ha. Like that's ever going to happen for the Penguins. But <laughs> Sid... With Jake and Rodriguez, Russ does not go back on that line. 
Okay. Uh, Malkin with Heinen and Kapanen. Carter with Zucker and Rust. And then you have that fourth line that you really don't want to touch as long as everything else is, is going on all cylinders of Bluger, McGinn, and Aston Reese. I like those lines. And I think especially the way that Evan Rodriguez has been playing this year, I, I like it even more because we saw it was at the beginning of last season that Rodriguez started on the top line with it Sid. Was. And like, and like we weren't the biggest fans of it. Um, yeah, it kind of, we had like the same reaction as like a lot of people do to like Dom Simone playing with Sid or like Connor Sherry. Like, yeah. We were like, eh, he's best suited somewhere else. Uh, but the way he's been playing this year, I don't mind that at all. And listening to the other lines, having Russ with Zucker and Carter, um, I feel like if, that, if there's that, somebody that's going to kickstart Zucker, <laughs> like look at what you Russ has to. done when you dropped him down in the lineup. Like you know, at times playing with Gino last year and Kapanen, like he's a, he's a guy that can kickstart offense for other guys. I feel like, and Jason Zucker to me is the one, like you're, when you're looking at it, like I know all the underlying stuff's good. He does pretty much everything besides actually score goals. But I, I think that Danny was right. He said in a show earlier in the week, he made a couple podcast appearances this week, by the way, shout out to Danny going on every show besides around the four one two. Uh, but he said, like, Zucker, we got to stop expecting him to be a five and a half million dollar player. Like, he's not going to return that value. We just have to accept it. And I get that. And I think that he still brings value to this team. My biggest thing is I just want to see him shoot the puck more. Like, he, when he's shooting and when he is shooting the puck, it's literally right into the crest of the goaltender. Like, <laughs> it's not even like dangerous shots that he's putting on goal when he is shooting the puck. And that's just completely different from the player that we've seen i i know that he's had some injuries and he's getting older from the player we saw in minnesota but it's just night and day so is jason zucker dom simone but he yeah, gets paid five and a half million yeah like the, essentially it mm-hmm. yeah except people a, don't hate a, him as much for some reason yeah i think he's a little bit better and well actually we saw that mess when with him trying to handle the puck against the Canadians a couple of weeks ago, but I would say that overall he's a better puck handling Dom Simone making five and a half million dollars. Now everybody's going to hate him. We compared <laughs> him to Dom Simone Everybody um, and, and hate him more because he actually has a high price tag. So yeah, he's probably when you, when you look at all 12 of the starting forwards, he's probably the only one that everybody is like saying is so underwhelming still. Because Kapanen, yeah. for a while, he wasn't scoring, but he, he's looked better in recent weeks. But Zucker, he's pretty much been the same his entire career as a Penguin. I feel like the best that Zucker looked, and listen, I'm not saying that you have to do this or that I think they're going to do this, but the best Zucker looked is whenever they first came, he first came here and he was playing with Sid. And I will I still it. die on the hill that he should play with Sid. I but got it. I just know it's not going to happen. What's up? Sid, Sid with Zucker and Rodriguez. Which, by the way, it sounds horrible on paper for Sid. Uh, Gino, Gino with um, Gensel and Kapanen, Carter with Heinen and Rust, and then of course the fourth line. See that that could work. The best that Zucker has ever looked with the Penguins uniform on is when he played with Sid his first few weeks here, and. I'm still going to stand by that. So I think that that's that is, he should play with Sid. And if there's going to be anybody on this on this team that could make a line of with, with the wingers of Edwin Rodriguez and Jason Zucker <laughs> in his current state to work, it's going to be Sidney Crosby. Sidney Crosby yeah, like, is, 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 is he can like jumpstart anybody and he can make anybody look good. 
So it just sounded funny coming out of my mouth. Like once I said, cause, <laughs> cause in my head I was like, I mean, this, this makes sense. If that's what your primary goal is doing is, is reuniting Zucker and Sid, that'd probably be the only combinations they could go with. I but, mean, you know what else probably sounded funny at one time is Sidney Crosby with Pascal Dupuis and Chris Kunitz. And look what happened <laughs> with that line. Yeah. Evan Rodriguez, I think is like this ver like Pascal Dupuis 2021 version. Like, I feel like that's what we were seeing right now with him. Well, Jason Zucker definitely is not Chris Kunitz, but no. I don't think anybody on this team is. <laughs> um, okay, so also we got to talk about Casey to Smith. I mean, is he finally, did we talk it into existence as he listened? To I don't have a hat on, but I'll, I'll tip my uh, headphones to him. <laughs> I, I, uh, we've talked a lot of crap on Casey to Smith for the majority of the season, but rightfully mm-hmm. so. He had been terrible, but he looked good. He got the shutout on Saturday night against the Anaheim Ducks. Maybe this is what turns around his season. And if the Penguins have Tristan Jari, the way that he's been performing on a, dare I say, Vezina level, and Casey DeSmith is a solid backup if he can perform like he did on Saturday night, it's a scary goalie duo moving forward. Now, again, we have no idea what they're going to look like when they go to playoffs. They could get swept again or whatever happens. But at least in the regular season, moving forward, the the goaltending could be really good if Casey DeSmith looked like he did on Saturday night. Yeah, I think, um, you know, the biggest thing for him, he was talking about his own performance, kind of some self, self-evaluation for what he was like early in the year. And he said that he was stiff and boring at the beginning of the year. I mean, he wasn't getting many opportunities in net, really only playing like the second of back-to-backs, but it's like a double-edged sword because how could Sullivan trust to put him in net? you know, with the way that he had been playing. So, and why would he want to take Jari out of the net with the way he had been playing? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, it was kind of everything working against the Smith, um, not only the Smith's play himself, but but just outside things that he can't control. Um, But yeah, if he has found his footing, which you absolutely hope is the case, it's going to be great um, because you can take some of that workload off Tristan Jari, which is really the biggest thing that we've talked about. Um, If you want to have the best version of Tristan Jari you need to take some of that work away from him. So he is fresh down the stretch and in the playoff time. Um, but, you know, just from like a confidence standpoint for DeSmith, you know, he started two of the three games the Penguins played this week. And, you know, they weren't, you know, that first one against the Kraken wasn't off a of back-to-back. So Sullivan just gave him a shot in net. Obviously, it paid out, paid off. He wasn't really tested all that much in that game. But you look at yesterday's performance, the 33 save shutout performance where the Ducks were, in my opinion, the better team, at least in the third period. Um, he had to stand on his head at times in this game to, to earn that shutout. So hopefully this is a huge confidence boost, not just for himself, but for the team when they're playing in front of him and Sullivan to go to him at times. Uh, we, we, we've made it this a conversation, a talking point on the show that the Penguins need to find a backup goaltender. And maybe it is an in-house option. And Casey DeSmith with his last two performances is showing maybe he still is the guy, even though he wasn't that great at the beginning of the year. Yeah. I mean, the Penguins over the last few weeks have been putting themselves in a good position. They started performing a lot better than they were over that. On pace lull. for over a hundred points. Yeah. They, they had that lull over. I mean, they would perform well the first two weeks and they had the lull over like three to four weeks where they were kind of just treading water. They were squeaking out some points in overtime. Um, but I think over the past couple of weeks, especially this past week going 3-0, and the previous week going 2-1 and or 3-1, and I think that they're starting to put it together. And the fact that they're going to be getting players back like Malkin, you're going to get Rust and Gensel back soon. 
Casey DeSmith playing well, Sidney Crosby getting back into Sidney Crosby form. And then you got other guys that are performing well and performing over probably our ex- expectations for them, like a Danton Hyen and Brock McGinn. Uh, Evan Rodriguez by far. I mean, I mean, who, who would have thought Evan Rodriguez, one of the best players on the team, but hopefully Jason Zucker could join them soon. But I think the Penguins are in a great position right now. Um, they're fourth in the division. They're in a the playoff picture right now. And I, I just got to say, looking at the division, how about the Rangers? I mean, I knew that they were going to say that you mentioned they were fourth in the division. And I was like, uh, I, listen, I, I knew the Rangers were, were doing a good like rebuild because a couple re couple years ago or three years ago they literally like wrote that thing to the fans saying like hey we're going to be going through this <laughs> right. they turned it around pretty quickly um, and they're actually a pretty solid team yeah i'm not so sure about some of the long-term contracts they've handed out like mika zibanejad's a good player but i'm not a huge fan of that deal yeah um, well i'm not a huge fan of what he's done for my fantasy team so far this year either <laughs> <laughs> um but I mean, like, obviously they have Panarin. They locked into getting Lafreniere. Like, I'm, there's no other word to describe it other than lock. No, uh, Adam Fox. Waited. Adam Fox, a stud on the back end, Norris Trophy winner last year. And then what they're getting in net was Shesterkin. You know, Gordiev hasn't been that great, but Shesterkin's been a stud this year, one of the yep. favorites to win the Vezina if the season ended right now. Uh, yeah, they're doing a lot of good things in New York, and they're actually like on pay- a points percentage. They played two less games, but they only have one less point uh, than the Capitals, who are currently leading that division. So, along with the Hurricanes, who we all know what start they got off to this year as well. So, it's crazy that they're right in the mix with those guys. But I think that uh, being fourth in this division right now is just, it, especially with the injuries the Penguins have had, the, and that's every year. Uh, but I still don't expect to see uh, Mike Sullivan's name in the Jack Adams hunt. Oh, absolutely not. It's not on brand <laughs> form. Because Sidney Crosby's on his team. Yeah, that's that's the whole thing. <sighs> Ridiculous. But then if people would like try to say, okay, well then why isn't Crosby like an MVP candidate even when his numbers aren't as high as McDavid? Oh, well, look at all the talent Sullivan's his coach. Yeah. You can't win. And, it, can't and win if he is an MVP candidate, be like, well, he's already an MVP candidate, so he can't win the Selkie. Yeah. Yep. It's just always something. That's how it works. That's how it works. Uh, anything else? Uh, what do you no, think about the jerseys? Third jerseys. Listen, I, I stand by what I've always said. I think they look better on fans than they do on players. Um, okay. I think I think they look fine. Like, although I'm going to be honest, while I'm watching the game, they they just look all black to me, and maybe that's just my eyes going bad. But like the diagonal Pittsburgh is, I feel like it's hard to notice too much when they're playing like a. At fast mm. pace, like, it just looks like an all black jersey for the most part. Um, See, I, but- I definitely agree with the fa- with them looking better on fans, but I will say I like the way that these look on the players more than like the the gold alternates. And I, I'm I'm torn on the white reverse retros between the black and the white reverse retro. I, I think I would say the black just be- because I've, I'm like partial to the to the nostalgia of the older ones, um, but I still think that the they're okay. Like they're not, I don't think they're the worst jerseys in the world, but I don't think they're like, Oh, amazing. Like for, for me personally, I would prefer like the, like a retro, like robo penguin Jersey. I mm-hmm. have always preferred those better. Um, it, what the white or the black and gray one doesn't matter. Um, but it's all right. I, I just, I still stand by, I think it looks better on fans than it does on, on players. Yeah. 
I would tend to agree. Um, I think that about does it. Unless you have anything else, I do want to obviously bring up some rock around the four one two stuff. But if you have anything unrelated, I'll oh, save that for last. Uh, no, no. The, the only thing that's, I mean, it's, I guess it's kind of related, but it's related to the show. Is that we are not recording next week? Um, True. It's the Christmas week, so all the podcasts have off. Um, so this will be the last time you hear from us in two weeks. So Merry Christmas. Yeah, Merry Christmas, everybody. <laughs> kind of weird to say as we're sitting here recording right now with a couple weeks to go until Christmas, but you will not, uh, yeah, you won't hear from us until after Christmas, right after Christmas. Um, we might still do something, or at least I might, I don't, because obviously the Steelers are going to have that game against the, the Titans next week, and I don't know. So we'll see. But yeah, the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network will be on vacation next Sunday through Saturday. So the only thing podcast wise you'll find are dk's daily shots of pirates penguins and steelers um which i didn't even mention in the beginning you, you talked about having to record by yourself and you did it for one show and he does it f- for three different podcasts like <laughs> yeah. monday through friday i don't know how he does it <laughs> i don't know maybe i should have reached out to him when i found out i was gonna record last week on my own and seen if he had any tips for me but i mean listen it was okay. impressive listening to you do it because I, I feel like if I had to record for like 25 minutes, it was just straight from me talking. It would be all over the place. Like, I feel like I'd be so unorganized. I felt that way. I don't know if it came across <laughs> that way, but I felt that way. Uh, no, but and then the last thing, um, because this is the last time we're going to be talking to you guys before Christmas and uh, it would have been regardless for the mission. Uh, Rocking around the 412 does end Thursday. So whenever you guys are listening to this, Thursday the 16th is the last day for Rock Around the 412. It's our pinned tweet on Twitter. It takes you right to the GoFundMe where you can donate. You can read about the mission there. Uh, but I talk about the mission a lot on here. Shout out to Josh Carney again, by the way, who wrote an article about it um, for the Beaver County Times. If you guys haven't been able to check that out, you can read about the mission a little bit there as well. Uh, this has obviously been our biggest year. We have a real shot, in my opinion, to double what we did last year or at least come very close to doing so. We've raised over $9,000, um, which is insane. Like it's gotten to the point where my basement is just Christmas gifts and I'm completely fine with that. <laughs> um, I got my niece and nephew always thinking that the stuff's for them and I got to explain to them what's going on. And then actually Amelia wanted to help wrap stuff for other kids yesterday and put their names on it. So, I mean, it's just awesome to see like my entire family get involved in doing it. I know that your mom's always asking questions about it and has been supportive with the mission as well. Um, so shout out to everybody that plays any type of role uh, in the mission is all in biggest shout out I could possibly give to everybody that donated any amount of money to go into the cause. Uh, you guys, I'm so excited to get you pictures and videos of the families. Um, I mentioned, I always mention the number of families on here. Like in, I could just say like nine families have been helped so far, but I think the more impactful number is to mention that 23 kids are going to have their Christmas taken care of at the very least. This number still could grow. Uh, with with the days that we have left, at least 23 kids are going to have their Christmas completely taken care of thanks to the donations that we've raised from the mission this year, which just seems absolutely insane to me from when we started the first year raising fifteen hundred dollars, which was obviously, you know, great. Shout out to everybody that donated at that time, too. But to see what it's grown to today, um, you know, in a in a time where a lot of people have financial uncertainty of their own. It's it's amazing. Yeah. 
it's it's pretty crazy that it's like people always want to give us like you and I praise for doing it, and it's like, listen, everybody else is donating. We just we just provide the <laughs> yeah. gifts. So we, shout out to yeah, everybody I mean, who donates. My mom and my mom does the wrapping. I put labels on them. That's pretty much my because I'm terrible at wrapping <laughs> gifts. I don't. I would say, are you like me where if you if you do it, it looks like a toddler did it? Yeah. Which I mean, they might appreciate. I don't know, but I, my, it looks pretty f- professional when my mom does it. Um, you know, so she has her role in that, and we buy you know gifts for or not gifts, but prizes for people that donate. Other than that, it's every single penny that is donated from other people that is going to providing the Christmas for these kids. Don't don't get me wrong. I I put a little something in there, but. Not the amounts that we see coming in from some people that yeah, some of people that I've never met before, never spoken words to or only know because of the Internet, like just the way that everybody's willing to jump at the drop of a hat to help um, the girls from Yinzers don't or not donating, dyeing their hair because we hit a milestone and then obviously doing the live show with me, too. I mean, you know, everybody that's had any role in this, I can't thank you enough. And it just this is the things like this are why Christmas is my favorite time of year, because you just there's a lot of bad things that happen in this world. And around Christmas, you see a lot more good than bad. And it, it, it gets highlighted more. Yeah, it's a great time of year. And it's it's great because of all of you that donated. Um, honestly, I mean, we we. We, I, I don't think we can thank you guys enough. Um, this is probably the best thing that we do. I mean, the podcast aside, like this is this is the yeah. like our favorite thing that we have to do. And uh, well, real real quick, if, if anybody that I've never shared this with, I mean, I've been on some other podcasts where they asked me about you know how I got into doing stuff like this, and the backstory really is I realized quickly after starting school at CCBC that college wasn't for me. However, my two passions in life have always been sports and people. And with what we're doing now, where I'm able to combine those two things, I've found my fulfillment in life. I wake up every day like blessed to be in the position that I'm in, doing the stuff that I am, doing the show, doing the stuff with DK Pittsburgh Sports that I do aside, my job, my family, everything. But this mission, this Christmas mission that runs from July to December is my baby. This is the most important thing that I do, and it will be for as long as I'm able to do it because it brings together every single passion that I have in my life. Helping people, obviously a little bit of side of sports because of the platform that we're using, along with the fact of the the prizes that we're getting for the people that donate are all sports related. Hmm. It's just a way to bring together every single passion that I have in one. Yeah, it's great. Uh and I think it really, it really encapsulates like who we are and who who we who we want to be. Uh, like we want to help people as much as we can. We love the sports, but like we, this is like like I said, it's our favorite thing to do. And we we don't we're not doing it because we like think it will make us look good or anything like that. Like we just genuinely want to help people. Like, I don't know. I mean, we record our shows on YouTube, so you know. So people know there's no way for us to look good. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> that is true. Eddie can do his best, but I don't know. Yeah. Hey, uh, but listen, guys, we've we've gone on for long enough of a rant. 
about rocking around the 412. If you guys can donate, please do so. You have until Thursday to do so. If not, share the mission. You never know whose eyes and ears you can put on that thing. Like I said, we've had a ton of people that I've never even heard of donate to the mission this year, which is awesome. And I'd love to actually be able to get to know them through this. Uh, but other than that, for Smitty, for Tyler, we wish you a Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, whatever you celebrate. We can't thank you enough for watching yet another episode listening to another episode of around the 412 subscribe to the channel leave us a like leave us a comment let us know what your thoughts are let us know any questions you might have get at us on twitter at around the 412 for smitty for tyler we will talk to you in a couple weeks once again merry christmas we'll talk to you then bye-bye